Hey everyone, Michael Antonovich with Swap Moto Live, here for another episode of the Midweek Podcast presented by Yoshimira R&D. It's been about a year since I first talked with Adam Bailey about the FIM World Supercross Championship. In the 357 days since, he helped the series launch and run through a pilot tour, moved his family up the coast of Australia, and got promoted to CEO of SX Global. The 12 months of work and travel gave Bailey a glimpse into the next part of his motocross career. He knows that directing World Supercross's plans for the sport will be an ambitious effort, one that will rely on everything he learned from Australia's small but mighty motocross industry, and one that will take a few years to see through. But he's ready for it all, motivated by the teams involved and feedback from fans that were in Cardiff and Melbourne. Thanks for listening to the Midweek Podcast. The show is a work in progress, so feel free to share feedback on what you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode through the comments or messages. Talk to you soon. Are you looking for more power from your 2023 KTM or Husqvarna? Yoshimira R&D has added RS12s for the 250 and 354 strokes to their inventory. These pipes and silencers enhance the engine's throttle response, make the most of the low-end to mid-range power, and show more than a 2% gain in max torque and horsepower on the dyno. Japanese titanium, cut and shaped in America, and distributed exclusively by Western Power Sports. Visit yoshimira-rd.com for more. Adam, it's uh, it's been about a year since you and I actually first got on the phone to talk about the formation of the World Supercross Championship, and wow, what a year it's been just for you. I think of everything that you've had going on, just launching a new race series, but then personally, you know, you and your wife and your uh, daughter moving from one part of Australia to the next part, getting everything going, traveling the world, like, yeah, man, you've had a heck of a year in these last 12 months, huh? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite quite the wild ride that's for sure and i think you know in addition to all that we sort of you know had had a business had ame and still have ame management as it formerly was called now ame group that's a you know marketing pr and content agency um, based out of melbourne so i kind of and and it started a motocross facility named uh, motoland and uh, kind of had to drop both of those onto my wife kelly um and also that we had the jetson um jetson.co jet lawrence's clothing you know brand and um had to sort of drop all those on my wife Kelly and and we packed our house up and moved here to the Gold Coast, which is a beautiful place. And I'm I'm very happy to be here. But uh it's definitely been a wild ride to do all that in, you know, in a matter of months and then um, you know, get those couple of events off the ground this year it was a it's a, been a hell of a journey. Um, but excited and and you know, enjoying the process at the same time. You know, every time that I come down there to Australia, I hear about how much you've been involved in the Australian motocross industry, you know, from back in the day being a rider yourself to doing riding camps and coaching stuff and then now into event promotion and then the Jetson line. I mean, you, you've really done everything, and that's something I really respect about everybody down in Australia. You guys know how small your industry is and how important it is to do a couple different roles rather than just be slotted into one thing and think that's going to be enough to get you by. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's exactly right. I mean, for me, you know, I, you know, whilst I was racing, I think like everyone, I wanted to be a professional racer, and <laughs> I was never good enough to make serious money doing that. Um, but at the same time, I all you know, I start, I went to um, college, you know, and did a, a marketing um, a marketing degree. But um, you know, all I really wanted was to be involved in the industry in some form, you know, uh, and to work doing things that I love. So. You know, when I um I started getting serious about you know having a having a, a work career as such, I guess I 
pretty much explored everything. You know, as you said, I, I was doing motocross coaching and was really lucky to travel around Australia doing a lot of that to, you know, live event announcing and emceeing to television broadcast um, hosting, announcing commentary to managing athletes to, you know, eventually running events and, and um, then promoting, you know, my own events as well as having that sort of agency that, you know, creates content as well around the sport. So it was kind of any any time I sort of saw an opportunity to get involved or where I thought there could have been an opportunity to, you know, to make money from, you know, and stay in the sport, um, that's what I've always tried to do. So um, I think it's given me a, a broad knowledge of every little aspect, um, but I'm not an expert in any of them. <laughs> no, I totally, totally. And about that kind of stuff too, you need to know a little bit about everything, especially to embark on what you guys have embarked on this year with the World Supercross Championship. You know, it's not like you have a hole somewhere where you, you haven't experienced what it's like to just to be a commentator or how important a TV package is to do things or what it takes to get a rider to commit to something. And you guys really do see what it takes to run an event from start to finish. Yeah, totally. And I think, yeah, for better or worse, you've got to have been involved and and done some of the hard yards and, you know, been the track builder at some point in time and, you know, worked all through the night. And, you know, you've sort of got to have experienced all those elements, I think, to have a good um, broad understanding, um, which is good. I think it, it has definitely served me well. I've obviously, during that process, learned so much and made thousands of mistakes and, you know, learned the hard way and been under a lot of pressure and a lot of stress lots and lots of time. So, you know, it just, it helps. It all, all, every little bit of experience has helped to, to be at this point and I'm, I'm still learning every day, which is, you know, the enjoyable part. Yeah, through the whole time I saw you, through like October and November, you never seemed stressed. With everything that was going on, even Thursday night at the Honda dinner at, at Crown, and knowing that the track was still getting worked on and the late start that you guys got on that, you never seemed rattled by anything. You knew it was going to get done and that the staff that you guys had around you was going to ensure that it got as far along as it could before you bikes hit the track, huh? Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think I've definitely learned, um, well, A, you know, if you're surrounded by great people, then, you know, um, there's nothing more that you can do. I think I've sort of learned to be able to, you know, when the problems arise or, which there always is, there's always challenges. If you've got the right people around you, then, you know, there's, that's all you can do and focus more on the, um, you know, focus on the process, not the outcome, I guess. And if you, you your own um, performance, for lack of a better word, and the people around you is as good as it can possibly be, then um, you've got to be comfortable with that. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely trying, you know, take comfort in in that, although there's, there's a thousand things to improve on and so many things that I wasn't happy with. Um, you know, I think you've also got to, got to, just try and keep a level head otherwise you know especially when there's others around you that sort of look to you for that level head because if you get wound up and stress it, it only makes it worse so so for me that's super important mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so looking back on the 12 months that you had what would you say was the biggest thing that you've learned through everything that's gone on you know you've even gotten a promotion through here uh one thing i've heard you say in a lot of different interviews is learning how different countries do business you know it's one thing to do it with international or english-speaking countries but to break into a new market, you know, just where customs are different or just the way they go about business or, you know, everything. I, I think that that was really something that stood out and I respect you for is because it's one thing to try to be a businessman and think that you have everything aced in your own little neck of the woods, but then to expand everywhere and to see how other cultures do things is a huge undertaking. Yeah, I think I think that 
has been the biggest learning. And it's not that I had expectations. I like I've done business in the in the US, particularly for a long period of time. You know, through managing athletes and having you know um, relationships with brands over there, etc. But um, and having a lot of friends there. But the the you know the shock to me, I think, was when you start bringing in all the other cultures and all the other regions and all the other time zones. You know, I think it was just kind of like, whoa, like it, it because it really is 24-7 because, you know, you get up in the morning and there may be a whole bunch of calls and emails from from people in the States and is obviously a couple of different time zones in the States. And then you get through the middle of the day just just here in, here in Australia and working with our team here. And then as the afternoon comes along, then you start getting um, messages or emails or what have you from the Middle East and, and then um, Europe as it gets later into night and then really late in the night, South America. So it really is kind of like, a 24-7 thing. Um, and so I think one of the biggest lessons, which I haven't mastered yet, I admit, is just trying to juggle that with life, with family, with, you know, your own personal kind of well-being and, and you know, because it, it doesn't stop. It really doesn't stop. So you have to try and try and force breaks and try and force um, your own ske- life schedule to make sure you maintain that balance. Otherwise, you know, I think you can drive yourself insane. No, I, I'm uh, I'm experiencing that firsthand. Like what we went through in those, you know, two weeks on tour, you know, to go for a week, to be off for a week, to go for a week and come back. It's a lot. Yep. And to see everything yep. that you guys are going to have going on starting next year, but then everything that you had going on on top of it this year, you know, two races, but then a lot of meetings, a lot of things that had to happen. And then after the races were over, you still had to fly back to Europe for the FIM banquet. So you're starting to get yep. an idea of, what the travel and what the work hours are really going to be like once this thing hits full speed next year. Totally. Yeah, totally. And I, um, yeah, I, uh, I met with the, um, you know, obviously went to FIM awards in, in Rimini the other day and I caught up really quickly with David Longo, you know, from MXGP, the CEO from, um, in front media. And, um, we had a, just a brief laugh on just doing business internationally and just how relentless those time zones are and the challenges and, and things in it. It really is, um, it really is something else and exciting and great and the travel's amazing and all those things that, you know, um, that are the f- fulfilling from a career perspective, but you most certainly have to manage, you know, life. And, and when you have a young family, I've got a three-year-old daughter, as you mentioned before, and and a wife, and I'm going to try and I, I want to keep them both happy and both in my life. I don't want to come back to an empty house. All my suitcases is packed up outside, so I've got to try and try and manage all that, which is, which is a challenge. Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Is Qatar always the layover point for you? Uh, Dubai, often, yeah, often Dubai. Like, I think that's the other thing, you know what? I think another thing that kind of highlighted to me is how remote Australia is because, you know, I mean, you know that, but um, when you're here, you know, Australia's a big place and you never really kind of realise when you don't travel internationally so much. And I've always tra- travelled internationally once or twice a year anyway for, for at least 15 to 20 years. But, but um, you know, now I'm doing it so much more, you go, wow, you know, because I've got to do 14 hours or, or thereabouts to get to LAX, for example, or to Dubai and then and then fly wherever else in the world I'm going kind of thing. And I think that has really... You know that kind of um, that first leg can take it out of you. You know, for me to I went to to the FAM Awards as you mentioned before in Rimini, and I I did a fourteen hour to Dubai, and then um, I think it was eight hours to Bologna from from Dubai, and then um, you know I was there for two nights, and then flew <laughs> did it all on the way back again. I was like, man, this is 
this is uh this is long so anyway um that's that's a part of living in a, it's a great part of the world but it's it's remote yeah i can i can only imagine you know that's one thing after this year that i really thought about a lot because the u.s guys are going to have similar issues you know it's a 9 10 12 hour flight over to to europe isn't that bad especially if you can make it direct from you know chicago or la or new york or something like that but to do it repeatedly it stacks up after a while but yeah you guys are way down there it takes a long time to get to anywhere for me to fly back home what was it melbourne to hong kong hong kong to la i think that was like 24 hours just in itself to get back so it's way way down there for you guys to get out and then to get back yeah for sure and you do have to and then when you you know factoring it in from just a even a budgetary perspective you know if you're flying you know our team around um you know then you've got to think about the travel and actually and actually be considerate of the cost and and work you make sure you maximize the travel and the trips because you know if you're in europe or you know if you're based in europe or based in the states things are a lot closer and a lot shorter so you know cost is a lot lower so we've got to it's all things you got to factor in Looking back on this year, uh, the pilot tour, the big point of it was for you guys to test the logistics of it. You know, what's it going to be like to ship crates from where everything is for every race team over to the UK, uh, have everything set up at Cardiff and then pack it all back up and then get it down to Melbourne. And it looked like everything went flawless. It didn't really sound like anybody had any issues. It sounded like everything showed up on time. Uh, once the teams got to the races and figured out what they could do out of their crates or how to make them their own, everything got much, much better. So from your perspective of it, how was it to shuttle everything around the world for those two races and what have you learned for next year? Uh, I mean, we learned we learned a lot. It definitely worked, you know, worked well. I think, you know, because there was always going to be a balance for the teams of, you know, they have they had to compromise, you know. Um, we obviously covered the cost of all that stuff, which is which is a huge expense. I think for us, you know, definitely with the way the world is, with the way flights um, are at the moment, it meant that that freight was was ridiculously expensive. Um, but still, the teams have had to compromise with respect to what they have available to them at a race. You know, compared to having a semi truck or or what, what whatever it may be, they have a lot less. Um, and so, I think it was good also to go through that process for them to kind of get used to that. And it's got to be fair for everyone. That's one thing. So, as long as it's fair for everyone, I think they could they realize that they could manage with this quite small, nimble setup. Um, but, um, but I think, you know, things like, um, the lubricants, you know, and, and making sure that there's supply in each region, um, you know, before we go there and how that works for each individual team is something to be, is something to be improved on the fuel, you know, um, getting fuel shipped to, um, some areas. I mean, Australia was, was difficult because the FIM, fuel that they all run isn't actually available here um so you know teams had to organize fuel to be ships not that not all that fuel turned up in time so some of the teams had to use different fuel at the last minute which which was actually fine but as you know that just little things like that that create a bit of anxiety for people that you want to avoid if you can mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so then on that you know as as you guys did find out little things like aerosols uh the gas sponsors that you guys have to have panta come down and talk like they talked at the races and just to have involvement that was there. The one thing that I did notice was the partners that you guys had were very willing to help get that sorted out. They knew that you guys were going to have those issues because they probably deal with the same thing when it comes to MotoGP or MXGP or World Superbike, you know, whatever comes through. So yeah, you know, learning lessons for you guys to figure out. How long does it take for a 
for the crate and the containers and everything to go from one place to the next? Is that like a two, three day journey? Uh, that is a question I can't really answer with a, with a great deal of accuracy because oh, okay. I, I'd be lying that I was fully across it. But um, but it, it it was quite quick. Obviously, it's air freighted. It's generally we we built all the containers um, purposely so they could fit underneath a commercial aircraft. You know, so it didn't you know obviously then you don't have to charter planes like that's something that's obviously different what we do compared to MotoGP for example, which they have these you know, huge boxes and crates that are on chartered planes, which um, is great because then they can dictate the timing of when their when their freight goes and comes, whereas we are at the, um, at the mercy of commercial flights. Um, but until we get any, you know, to a certain size, um, that's just the way it has to be. So um, it was really just dependent on each region as to what where the flights, what flights are coming and going. And, and Cardiff was particularly difficult just because, for whatever reason, out of the flights out of the UK around that, that at, at that point in time were terrible. I mean, to try and get flights, people were doing some ridiculous travel to be able to um, to be able to get there and back, which was which was challenging. So I, I really just hope on that that the world gets makes gets a bit easier. You know, get that international travel gets a bit easier. More and more flights come on. The cost is a little bit better next year, and that that'll make life easier. Yeah, I can only imagine what you guys went through. Uh, there was a story at one point in the MotoGP season where everybody was watching like a set of flights and a set of cargo planes that were flying all across like the Southern Hemisphere full of bikes because it delayed one whole day of racing because of a typhoon in Japan. So you guys are at a completely <laughs> different mercy of everything else and figuring that out. Is that something because the FIM has so many different international championships that they're able to kind of help you guys logistics on or is that something you have to find out for yourself? No, nah, they they're not really involved in anything like that. So we we had to find out for ourselves. But we you know we've got great people that have really good experience in doing international concerts and things like that. But again, it's just you know I I thought considering it was the first time um, it all worked really well. The, the boxes the, the the team boxes worked really well. Like I didn't hear sort of much you know any negative feedback about those and the sort of practicality of them. So I'm sort of proud of our team for that. It all worked well. Um, but you know, plenty of learnings, and we'll still still get better. I think just in terms of when the stuff arrives, access to it for people. When do the teams actually need to get there to unpack it? You know, um, we'll arrange our event schedules to be a lot more, um, a lot tighter and a lot less kind of fluid, a lot more predictable going into each event next year, so that you know the teams know that they have to when they and the riders get there is you know Wednesday for PR and appearances, for example, or what have you, and um, then they're on the track on Saturday or it's Thursday and um, and Saturday or whatever it is, we'll just make sure it stays fairly consistent from round to round so that everyone knows what they're in for before the season, long before the season starts. Gotcha. Yeah, I was blown away to see how much stuff was at Cardiff and then how much of that same stuff made the trip all the way down to Australia a few weeks later. I was like, wow, this came too. I remember this crate standing next to the stadium just the other day. So yeah, it's it's impressive to see everything that you guys have going on and just a completely different level of logistics than what we see in the States from, you know, just tractor trailers that drive from race to race. So then, you know, I was really fortunate to meet you and Tony. You know, I'd known you for a while, but then to meet Tony ahead of the press conference in Melbourne and you know, he has your guys' connection to concerts and sporting events and World Supercar or the Supercar series and everything. Um, just yeah. to see where everything's going on, see the perspective that he has, the meetings that he had, and then the promotion that you got in the weeks following the series. It's very cool to see and and how vocal he is and animated he is uh, through it all. 
how is it to, to find Tony and to have this partner in him and to see the pieces that he's putting together around the world while you guys do the race stuff in those two weeks? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, he's, he's definitely a character and, and um, we've learned a lot from him. You know, Ryan and I involved him in the AusX Open since 2017 um, and that was because at that point we wanted to start looking to do international events. Um, you know, we started looking into into parts of Asia, like Singapore and Thailand, and we we did launch an event in New Zealand. Um, we were look we were doing meetings back then in Japan as well, and we we really wanted and the Middle East, so we really wanted to expand Supercross back then. But there was obviously no championship rights to um to attach it to at that point in time. But um, I think you know, there's there's been great learnings to have having Tony around. Like I think he he's um. The sort of person that that uh is full steam ahead he uh he's like a bull in a china shop you know just just kind of like goes head first um which there's there's parts of that that i've enjoyed learning from um there's definitely parts that i've learned from but that haven't you know definitely not adopt myself and, and definitely our leadership styles will be you know completely different but um but nevertheless his experience and what he's achieved and his career is is incredible um so you know anytime you get to work closely with someone that's done those kinds of things you've just got to listen right one thing that he had said in australia was you guys are the first australian company to manage an fim or an fia race series and he's very very proud of that and i know you are too and i know that that's an important point because so many people have said well why couldn't they have just you know put together a six race series with no affiliation but for what you guys are trying to go for if you don't have that prestige it takes away any selling power any kind of bargaining might or anything you guys have you know to put it out there for once and for all how important is it for the FIM to be involved and to be recognized as a world championship because this is something you've been working on for a while even back to that New Zealand race that was an FIM Oceania championship so this is not some fly-by-night situation you guys have been working this deal for quite some time yeah for sure I, I mean the answer is in the U.S. it means nothing but around the rest of the world it means a lot uh, I think you know it, um and that is because if you go to you know regions or government partners or promoters you know that don't have experience in motorsport for example or they're a concert promoter um or a venue you know when you have an affiliated world championship um it carries weight but um obviously in the us you know because ama and and the 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 you know motocross and supercross is so strong there it, it it really doesn't so i think that's the that's the the thing for us is it it was something that was very necessary in those other parts of the world for sure. So then when we were in Melbourne or not Melbourne, I'm sorry, Cardiff, there were some gentlemen from India that I got to talk to and they were telling me about the Indian Supercross series. And then you guys have mentioned the Brazilian Supercross series that's down there. A lot of us are familiar with France's SX tour. So it's, we know that there's Supercross races that are happening around the world from the time that you've had this last year to see what's happening everywhere is there any place that you're surprised that has a really good motocross fan base other than Brazil? You know, we know that it's so big and that's what you guys have found out through research that it's like the biggest market. But is there some place where you're like, wow, they get motocross racing down there. They're into it. This is something that we could crack into. Um, Yeah, I mean, parts of the Middle East. I mean, I, I, you know, I think, you know, whilst it's small in terms of numbers compared to the rest of the world, I mean, I think it's it's it, that took me by surprise like you know that dubai has motocross races and they've got a motocross club and they're you know they're doing they, they call it supercross they're doing sort of junior supercross races and things you know like 
Um, and even in, in Saudi, for example, they have, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, that obviously ride dirt bikes. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that that was, that was kind of the surprise. There's definitely regions out there that you just, you just would never have expected that they're into it. And it's great. It's refreshing to see because, you know, it, it tells you that there is growth opportunity. There's places to go that, um, you know, fans will will be able to be onboarded as Supercross fans over time. And then there's obviously all those regions that we know have fans like Brazil, like you mentioned, that we that we need to tap into. So there's, um, there's a, there's a, we genuinely believe there's a whole, world of opportunity out there and when you um you know believe in the um in the sport as much as we do then you're just kind of excited to share that and excited to to bring them on board with you you know and i think um i think cardiff definitely solidified that to see you know to see the amount of people that were there and how good a time they had and how into it they were and you know chanting the writers names and all that kind of stuff you know that was a real kind of shot in the arm for us to go to you know to kind of reminded us why we were doing what we're doing Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I totally agree. To see just the little details that you guys did, um, you know, trams, shuttles, banners on the streets in Cardiff. I saw a billboard when I was going to the airport in Australia. Just how much of a presence that was there and then to see people engage with it. I'm sure that was a huge deal for you to see it thousands of miles away from home, people understanding what you guys are trying to do. And then the Brazil thing. I was sitting in that press conference in Melbourne when you and Tony said how big of a market it is down there. And Josh Hill and Ken Roxon were sitting in front of me, you know, two guys that have raced down there, and they're both nodding their heads along in agreement. And then I'm thinking about our social media channels. Anytime we post anything of like Enzo Lopes, just Brazil flags, mm-hmm. that's all the comment section is. So it's been cool to yeah. see you guys have a whole un- other understanding of where new markets are and what's out there and, and the way you're going to tap into them rather than just where riders are coming from. Totally. Yeah, and that, totally. And I think, you know, I, I think like you've got to peel back and really look at the spectacle and the sport for what it is for someone that has no idea and just see what parts of those are going to be appealing to them and then try and find those cultures that kind of match up with that, you know, like, um, and, and there's so many out there that really, you know, it's such a, it's such a, whilst the, we, you know, we consider the sport to be, you know, niche or, or small compared to other sports like it's super easy to be excited by. Like you don't have to know anything about it to look at it and go, whoa, this is amazing, you know. And I think that's the thing is what we believe is that why we'll be able to onboard fans from around the world because you just know that your first impression, I've never, ever, ever introduced anyone to it that's just been bored by it when they see it, you know, never. So with the schedule coming out last week, um, that was a big, big talking point through those last few ra- through those last few weeks, especially down in Melbourne because – Everybody thought we knew where it was going to go through, you know. Oh, I thought I'd heard a rumor to this place, and then my buddy said this, and then we heard it was going here, and then we have to get stuff ready to go here. To see the six rounds <laughs> that you guys have coming out, Germany, France, England, Southeast Asia, Australia, and Canada, six big places that have Supercross followings. You know, the Southeast Asia, that's one market that we haven't gone to yet, but you guys have had an eye on for quite some time. Australia will always be there because... That's for you guys. Canada is the North American market as you guys get into it. And then Canada or France, England, and Germany. I mean, that's Europe. Those are the three big places that everybody will want, will want to go to. How did you pick those venues and um, what's it like going into 2023 now? Yeah, I think, 
those, I mean, we kind of started with the research, you know, where where do we think the markets are um, or where do we know the markets are, I should say, not where do we think, where do we know the, the markets are, where, and then it's kind of where is there good, um, I mean, great venues, obviously, that, that are suitable, you know, who do we partner with, be it a, a, a promoter or a ticketing agent or, um, you know, like um, in UK, for example, we partner with um, Live Nation, obviously very capable at selling tickets and and have huge huge reach there. Like, there's all that combination of those things that and that make it a you know commercially successful is really that you know the things to look at first and foremost. Um, and you know, we we are and we're sort of close to having more than that six, um, but we didn't want to hold back any longer. You know, on, on getting an announcement out there because for the teams and the riders and etc., you know, they, they really need to start planning. So it's a tough balance to to get the news out. You don't want to get it out too soon because if the contracts aren't in place and, and things can fall over, as we've seen, like they can that can happen quickly. And um and but similarly, you got to give everyone enough, you know, as much notice as you possibly can to uh to be able to plan for. So. You know, we feel like we've we've been able to do that and strike a balance. I think you know, going into next year, it's exciting because we've learnt so much. And you know, um, you know, literally, I mean, it was a debriefing today just regarding a whole bunch of production elements. Literally, have a page of notes of things to improve. You know, from a lunch today, and it's kind of like that. That process is just ongoing. Um, but had we not you know, had the data points from this year to be able to do that for next year, you know, we'd be going into to try and do six events completely fresh. So it's really good that we, you know, I'm very, you know, pleased that we have that information, that we have those learnings and that we're able to take that into next year. So now it's it's full steam ahead and everyone's working really hard and, you know, I'm trying to work quite a lot on 2024 at the same time, to be honest, because we want to get in front of the curve, you know, um, which is looking looking good as well. So we're just excited. Just gotta. We gotta. We now have a strategy. We now have a plan. We've got a, a timeline to work towards, and now it's just about kind of executing that. You know, I can only imagine what it would be like to try to bite off six races in year one if you guys hadn't have done the two that you did this year. Like that would just be yeah. out of hand. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, if we thought this year was stressful, I think it would be just ridiculous <laughs> because you know, just to get enough, you know, to get enough people but the right people you know you can't just you know we're not just walking down the street and just hiring anyone that'll take a job right like this is kind of like you know it's it's specialist we want we want a you know a high performance team that's our thing you know our mantra in here is everyone is is high performance everyone expects a lot they expect a lot out of themselves and expect to achieve a lot and and um you know to find those people is is not is not easy so um you know um we'll have to we'll still be hiring a bunch more people going into next year and um hopefully that'll lighten the load but if we tried to do you know more than what we did um yeah i think i think it would it would damn near have killed us all (laughs) then we wouldn't be going into 2023 at all so i take it that there's a uh some job listings on world supercross if people are interested yeah for sure yeah we're looking for an international social media and digital content producer first and foremost that's one of the one of the major ones um so if anyone out there is interested in that then then for sure reach out i think it's going to be an an awesome gig and travel in the world and help us build our channels and our community um so excited about that but but there's a bunch you know we'll be hiring an event event manager slash production manager um we'll have full-time you know um tv production crew and people that we that we didn't have before um 
and yeah, a bunch of other sort of administrative roles as well. But um, it's been really lean this year to do what we've done with the amount of people. I mean, uh, our office is, you know, kind of 10, 10 people um, the majority of the time, you know, and obviously lots of contractors and it's just not enough to try and do what we've got to do. So we're going to have to grow quite rapidly. You know, I'll say this for everybody that was on the project this year. Everybody that I ran into, no matter how overworked they might have been, you know, just because of the situation or how much they had going on, everyone was super pleasant and everybody was really excited about the ability to work on this new project and to see where you guys were going. You know, I never came across anybody that seemed jaded by what they were doing. So that that's a good no. thing, especially this early into it, because I think if people's attitude was already tapering, that's a big challenge right away. But everybody yeah. seems excited. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. And and that is, I think, when you do have, you know, a high performance culture and people that are high achievers and want to see this thing kick us and that's the attitude they're carrying. Everyone was kind of there going, you know, they really believe in the mission that we have and, and believe in what the possibilities are. So everyone acknowledges that everyone was overworked, but they're at the same time they also realise that this is a startup business that's just getting going. So, you know, thankfully we've got the right people that are kind of, you know, willing to kind of just nut it out for this first first bit and and uh, until the momentum builds, so that you know we'll, we'll be in much better place next year, which I'm I'm definitely looking forward to. No, I can understand that totally. So there was one thing that was always said, and it was the understanding that dates were going to conflict at a certain point when the 23 schedules come out, and that's going to happen three times. Uh, two races conflict with Pro Motocross, and then the German Grand Prix conflicts with the last round of Super Motocross. So for you guys, you knew that was going to happen. Was there a strategy when it came to picking these dates? Is this about trying to make the least conflict or is it trying to hold your own and show you other people like, hey, we're here. We're not going to try to be a B-rate series. We have to take this thing head on against the competition. Yeah, you know what? Like, It's honestly neither. It really is just doing, you know, what we have to do to solidify the series and find the venues that that are available that are suitable you know, um, the reality of it is on the international event calendar or, or and and then these venues, the the availability is really really um, challenging. You know, that they, they just there just isn't free weekends because the other thing post COVID is there's a whole bunch of concerts, you know, that are that are flooding back into the market in different regions. You know, you've got um, international sporting. Um, you know, leagues, be it soccer in Europe and things that, or rugby in the UK, and you know, in um in Wales even and things like that, that that you were trying to to move around so those are the things that we're moving around really it's the weather in Europe it's the, the availability of the locations uh, and the stadium hire and, and um, the international markets and what's happening in those markets you know that we have to be aware of for example holidays as they come up you know around summer and things like that um so yeah that, those are the things it's we prefer not to clash with anything if you ever had that chance but you just can't so um it's just the way it is no that makes total sense you know i that's all the variables that are out there so many people especially in our sport want to just pick you know well this and this are the two things that add up but then you look at the first round that you guys have villa park is an open air stadium and think about What's your weather going to be like in England if you try to go there in September or October or November? You know, we got super lucky. You might not always get that same odds, especially when it's rainy England like everybody always jokes about. So the venues yeah. that you guys did get too are, are great venues. You you and Tony had talked yeah. about how you were very excited about what's out there and then to see where these places are in France, in Germany. You know, these are top-notch places. It's not like you guys went to B markets either. 
No, that's right. And uh, exactly, which means, again, if you want to go to a premium venue, then you then the reality is it's going to be busier and it's going to be harder to get in, you know. Um, so it's... Uh, that, that it, it's a very difficult thing. It's one of the most difficult parts about about Supercross, um, especially on an international level, is is the venue availability and trying to work that into a global schedule. Because you know, not only are you trying to to work out the venue location, uh, sorry, the venues in each location, their availability, but you've got to be mindful of the local market and what else is on and what you're competing with to sell tickets in that region. Um, but then you also have to be mindful of the weather. And then you also have to be mindful of how all of them link together from a global freight perspective. You know, you don't want to be zigzagging around the world because otherwise, you know, the freight costs are just, um, you know, will kill you. So there's just so much, um, so much to think about. And, you know, it's it's really, you're just trying to do the, you're trying to pass a path of least resistance, but there's definitely resistance everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. You know, you said the concert thing, and I can think of in the U.S. right now, the three major stadiums that are near my house here in St. Louis, I think that all of them that are usually full-time sports venues have some kind of major concert attached to them next year because that's just how in demand the music industry is right now to reclaim all that time off, and they know that they have a huge market and so many artists that want to do it. And yeah, when you guys are going up against a beast like Live Nation and all of that, yeah, there's not a lot of availability that's out there. I can only imagine globally, you know, what you guys are facing because we think of this was another big thing that happened that I thought of when I was at these two races. You know, you guys add these musical guests to it, and I had not heard of, I'll be honest, all three of them. But then to see the draw that they have and think like, okay, yeah, there's all of these other things that are out there. These are other elements these guys have to conflict with and then also work with. And it's a lot more stuff than people think of just race teams and dirt bikes and when the AMA stuff is going on. Yeah, totally. No, it's it's that's right. And and you know, I mean, and this the championship in in the US obviously has a long-standing history, long-standing relationships with venues. You know, Feld do a fantastic job um and they have great relationships on the basis of having they have monster jam so there's economies of scale with regards to dirt and supply of that and you know grass protection or grass replacement and all those kinds of things there's 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 a whole myriad of things that you know when you're starting fresh and you're going to international markets you know that you've got to take into mind and 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 consider and um you know it means that it won't always you know it'll always be moving and challenging i guess when you own to new new places i mean we had a 600,000 um pound um turf replacement costs at that Cardiff Stadium. And that's just purely on the basis of the time of year. They just said, well, if you want to come at this time of year, it's going to be 600000 to replace the turf. And, you know, it sucks. <laughs> but but we had to do it because of that time of year and that's the way it was. And now, you know, each venue will have, and that's because they had to get it ready for rugby really quickly afterwards. So, it, you know, depending on the country, depending on the sports that they have and depending on the, the venue itself and how healthy its turf is or what have you, you know, there's all those kinds of challenges and costs and things to that um, over time you like to think you'll learn and have efficiencies and build relationships and things. But as of right now, they're, they're um, you know, we're starting from scratch. Are they pretty cool about when you guys want to come in with so much dirt? I mean, obviously they're going to charge you for it, but are some of these places like Villa Park or, or wherever, are they understanding of what you guys into the scope of what it's going to be? Generally, generally, um, I mean, some are not like we've we've spoken to venues that that don't want us there because of dirt, you know. Before there's definitely has been, um, but 
generally they've been really good because we do have you know proof of what we've done before and and how we've been able to protect the turf and not not create damage you know so um, but it's always a question it's always a question that's asked but it also really depends on their schedule what games they have on if it's soccer for example and when how many weeks they've got after after um you know our event to be able to recover and things like that 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 whole schedule will really influence their attitude towards it for sure so after melbourne i wrote something that it felt like in the lead up to your guys's first race that there was this you know, constant arms race of who was doing what and how are these things going. And everyone felt that they had to defend what they'd built over these last few years. But then in the weeks that have kind of followed and everything that's happened since then, it seems like cooler heads have prevailed. Everybody understands everything's going on. They see how things really are going to go. And it doesn't seem as critical or as tense as it was a few weeks ago. I know you and Mike Pelletier uh, talked at the FIM banquet, you and David Luongo, like you said. So it seems like now everyone has seen what you guys are going to do, and they are more understanding and open to it rather than being so guarded. Is that an accurate assumption, or is it different from what you've noticed in these last few weeks? No, I definitely hope so. I mean, I, I think so, and I definitely hope so. I think, you know, I think we could have done a better job when we when we first came into the, or when we first announced. I don't think our language was necessarily right, you know, from the start. And I've been open about that. Like I think we could have handled ourselves better, um, which was is a shame because yeah, it, you know you only get one chance to make the first impression, and, and I don't think that we handled it in the best best way possible. And you know, for whatever reason, you know, there, there was going to be people that are going to push back regardless, for sure. But you know, at the same time, you know, we should have been forthcoming with what our goals and aspirations are, which is to build on on the sport around the world and, and not to take away from anything or anyone and um I th- we obviously didn't make that clear enough and that's perhaps why there was um there was you know pushback and and we you know are fine with and welcome kind of competitive tension i mean there, there should always be in the you know com- competition is a good thing there's nothing nothing wrong with that but um you know i think we were surprised that um you know that that our intentions could have been taken anything but positive and and that's that's on us to to have communicated those better so i definitely feel that you know um i had a great time with the guys with the ama guys at the fim awards you know rob digman and and mike pelletier particularly spent a lot of time with them great great guys you know um they're really supportive of what we're doing you know and we're super complimentary and and um appreciative of what they do and and what um what feld does so there's definitely no you know, desire to have any angst or have any kind of, you know, negative tension. I mean, I think the reality is the sport is very small on the overall scheme of things, and we should all um, work be working together to build to make it a bigger pie for everyone, right? Um, and I know that that may sound like wishful thinking, but you know, I genuinely believe that we got to try because um you know we're not we're not as big as um soccer we're not as big as nfl we're not as big as baseball we're, not, we're you know not, not even as big as australian football but even close so there's a lot of work to do um and i think that if we're all pulling the same direction it's only going to get better for all of us mm-hmm. no i agree completely i can only imagine what it's like because there are times that i've said or done something with what i feel are the best intentions and then i see how it's recepted by other people and it's just completely read wrong and i can imagine for you guys what it's like to put all this time and effort and you know yourself on the line and your business everything and think that you're just doing something for the good of the sport and yeah you're going to make some money off of it that but then just to see people rip it to shreds all the time and how you have to (laughs) 
understand that that's kind of part of culture right now, but at the same time, it's really frustrating. Like it's just gotta be so, you know, everything, everything that you guys do, you guys can put out a six race series and say who all these people are and have all these great intentions. And then there's going to be, try to be somebody to knock it down and you just can't look at that stuff. And it's gotta be that new balance, uh, a new element to being a business owner right now too. It's frustrating. It is for sure. And I think though, I think, you know, what really helps is, you know, is that if if people are, you know, taking the time to rip you to shreds, then I feel like at least they're talking about you. And if if um, you know, if what we were what we were doing, um, nobody thought had any merit, then no one would have even said anything. You know, and I think that what the positive um that I took from you know those kind of early um that early kind of ripples and things that and and shock waves that we kind of sent was that oh okay, well people actually do give a shit about this they actually do think it could be something because otherwise if they didn't this wouldn't be even happening you know um so it kind of gave us a shot in the arm in a way because it kind of was like a it proved that we we're onto something i think so um you know it, you do have to take some stuff with a grain of salt some people will send you messages that are just ridiculous um but others will say things that actually you know are worth listening to so you know it's hard to it's hard to pick pick the ones but i think um you know you just gotta gotta try not to pay attention too much but if something comes up enough that it's worth listening to then 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 do you know um but everyone's going to have an opinion Mm -hmm. and you saw firsthand you know everything that you guys have going on you saw the success stories from the data and the hard numbers and everything that happened from the events but also just from the expressions that the fans had and how happy they were into it you know i can even think of how excited i am to go to 17 supercross races here in the u.s and now that I'm a father and I get to see these little kids see their favorite racers for the first time this year, like, I've never had that before. And then to go to these two places and see little guys understand, like, whoa, that, that's somebody that I'm really into for the first time and just see a kid light up like that. Um, mm. That was a whole different thing for me. And I can understand for you guys, like, that's just one other element of like, okay, that's a small win in our book. And we keep doing this over and over and over again. This whole thing's going to build. And that's why we're doing it. Totally. I mean, that that was, you know, I mean, just so rewarding, to be honest. I mean, I, you know, those kinds of moments, you know, get me, you know, fairly emotional because, you know, there's, you know, like we received messages from fully grown men saying, thank you for giving me the opportunity to see my hero ride. I've never had that opportunity before and I couldn't afford to go to the US, you know, um, to see them like multiple messages like that, not just, not just one, you know, multiple messages that are people like saying thank you thank you for bringing it to us thank you for giving us the opportunity thank you for for letting me you know i got to meet ken roxon or i got to see him ride it was my dream to see him ride it you know those kinds of things you know that is what it's all about and that's that's why this you know this mission you know is worthwhile and that's why it's worth the heartache and the pain and the stress and all those things is because there i genuinely believe there's millions of people that that um either want to or will want to when they actually get exposed um, to the sport firsthand so you know that's that's what drives us to keep doing it you know even just a couple of the people that i bumped into either in england or in australia that are fans of our work and how excited they were to see me like i'm just some goofball with a camera and a microphone but to know how into it what we do that they are and that they pay attention to everything and that they just want to have a few minutes with us uh, yeah you guys multiply that by a million when it's somebody with a couple world championships to their record or you know, Instagram followings mm-hmm. and, and what they are, it's huge, you know, to see it. We saw it firsthand. I got to understand what it's like for these people to meet someone they never thought they were going to meet 
or to see him ride like they never thought they were going to meet and what that means to him because you know admittedly we are jaded here we see it 17 times and it's no big deal but for a lot of other people it's huge yeah and and the the practice tracks i mean everyone knows where those test tracks are in southern california if you want to you know, drive down there during the week, during Supercross season, chances are you're going to see some of the best riders in the world just doing their thing just casually, you know, and you may even be able to say say hello, you know. I mean, you know, if you live in uh, in Cardiff, you know, that that is an impossibility, you know, and if you if you want to try and take your family, you know, to the US to do that, it's, you know, potentially thousands and thousands of dollars, which not everyone has that in the kitty to be able to do it, you know. So, um, you know, you guys do do... I think do take that for granted because you do get to see it so much. Um, so in the US, it's it's very different. The rest of the world just doesn't doesn't get that. And um, we we obviously learned that, you know, from our own experience. I mean, mine, mine personally as a fan growing up, like I I was you know so stoked. I, I was able to fly myself to the states, you know, and see Ricky Carmichael race and see him and Bubba and and Chad race. You know, was Shuba one year and. You know, I was really lucky to be able to do that and, and um, you know, privileged, I would say. Um, but not everyone has that opportunity. So, you know, I think it's our job to to take those guys or as many of them as we can um, around the world for them to get that opportunity. And it's the other reason why, we, you know, we want and need the, the US, you know, racing and um, the AMA Supergrass Series to to continue to be successful and continue to, to build up these athletes in a fantastic way that they do because um you know it helps them carry weight when they go around the rest of the world they help make stars and that's something that they do really well and we want to we want to you know i guess um collaborate with them on that as best as we can over time i wrote this earlier um i think the group of guys that you had this year was perfect it seemed you know i think that if you wanted more star power the only way that you could have gone was just plucking factory guys and and signing them to come over but the dudes that you got were all into it. They're all super fast. They all have reputations and followings. But most importantly, they were down for it. They were down to try something new. They were down to go see what else is out there, connect with fans, ride different tracks, test their limits. I think the people that you had that were part of it, as far as the racers went this year, you guys had an all-time list. And uh, you could really see how excited they were just to be able to go see new places and ride new tracks and see new fans. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we were, um, we were, you know, uh, I was stoked with that too. I think the really exciting thing about it is the to see how much the riders enjoyed it. You know, the guys that were there really genuinely loved it. They were they enjoyed the travel. You know, I think they enjoyed being part of something different. Um, you know, I saw obviously it was at the FM Awards was there with Kenny and um, and Shane. You know, I could see how pumped they were on, on receiving a world championship medal. So they should be and proud of that. They were amongst some, you know, the best company in the world and recognized on the best, you know, as as the best in the world. And that's the way it should be. And that's the opportunity we wanna we wanna give them. So, you know, I think um I think that's only gonna get better. I think it was awesome that that year one, you know, and certainly a couple of events for people to to get a taste of what it could be like traveling on a on a an, you know, in a truly global kind of um supercross championship and i think that um it definitely helped kind of showcase that and get them excited for what's to come all right so very last thing when you and i first talked about this time last year and this thing was first kind of getting its bearings about it i kind of said it to my wife that a personal goal was to go to every race that you guys had i didn't care if it was two or five or six or whatever i wanted to go see it for myself and i was really fortunate that we had 
a lot of great partners and you guys were willing to have us come and do everything that we've done and appreciate you for it. But there was so much stuff that was part of it like, okay, I know once I get to this race, this might be happening here. And I have so many things that I think back to this year that I was excited about and I was very fortunate to see them come through. What was one thing about this year that was maybe the highlight to it for you? Maybe it was a stressful time that you got through or just to see opening ceremonies go off. What was the one big moment of the year that made it all seem worthwhile? Um, oh gosh, that's such a good one. That's such a good one. I think, um, I mean, opening ceremonies, you know, in Cardiff, maybe just as it's the first one, but I think, I think really what really, you know, what really hit home for me was in Cardiff. Um, because when the fans were sort of chanting like soccer chants for the for for the writers' names, like sh- they were chanting Roxon at one point, I was like, "That is cool." Like that, you know that that doesn't happen in other parts of the world, and um, that for me just kind of you know ran at home that we're onto something here, and this is special, you know. And I think that was that was really 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 motivating. But you know that coupled with like I said, lots of thank yous. Like I think, you know, people paid good money to come to our event and then they thanked us, you know, and I think that's pretty special. If someone's that not only they're willing to spend the money and not just the ticket, but the travel, like, you know, 43 or 44% of the people that came to Melbourne came from interstate, meaning they had to fly, you know, um, which is huge. So that uh, for them to invest that money, invest that time, and then still be so thankful and grateful is um is just incredibly special. So I think we're very we don't take that for granted, and that's um something that'll you know literally fuels fuels us and fuels me every day to to keep doing what we're doing. You know, Adam, the one thing I'll say I appreciate the most about what you guys put together for what it gave me was the opportunity to, to see what the world's really like right now after a couple of years of just kind of being boxed away and doing what we're doing up here to go back and see what's going on everywhere. And, you know, to your point of all these people that came to Melbourne were flying from different parts of Australia. There was a father and son. I think the dad was in his 50s and the kid had to be about 12 or 13. And right away I spotted them getting into the bus at the airport on, what was it, Thursday, because the son had an Ithaca hat. And I'm like, those are moto people. So I started talking to them about what brought them there and where they came from. And then Sunday after the race is over, I walked through Melbourne as the cricket T20 was going on, and then to see India and Pakistani fans just going nuts before their match happened, and to understand how important this other sport is to the world, and, you know, maybe one day we can get just a fraction of how excited they are about their sport, and just to see that stuff again, that was probably the most important and fun things to me this year was A, to see how into it other people are all over the world about motocross, but then B, the potential that we have of, like, yeah, this is this is it. This is how the whole world sees other things, and this is what we can learn from other cultures and other regions and other activities rather than just ourselves. And uh, I really applaud you guys for taking the chance to go do it and to see what else is out there and to try to get the sport into new places because these next three to five years are going to be a huge, huge time for everybody, and you guys really are at the forefront to make that happen. Yeah, thanks, man. No, no, I, you know, I've got to say the same that the the, the industry has been, um, you know, for every kind of one negative, there's been three positives, and and I think I genuinely can feel that energy building where I feel, you know, um, people see that we're in this for positive and this is for positive reasons, and we want to make positive change. And um, I mean, someone asked me, you know, as an example of that, um, 
you know, I think it might have been Steve Mathis or Jason Morgan. One of those guys asked me, you know, about the um, made a comment on the prize money for the Super Motocross, and you know, um, the riders might must be sending you sending you thank you cards or whatever. But I mean, I generally think that that's a you know, we got in this and the, and my number one goal in my own career is just to have a positive impact, and so you know, that's a positive impact. I think it's amazing. Like if 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 those riders start making tons more money because of something that we did on the other side of the world, then I think that that's fantastic and um, we welcome it. So ultimately, you know, the motivating thing is to just keep making positive change, bring everyone on the journey. We want, we want you know, people in the industry, everyone, um, boys or girls, all ages to come on board with us with this journey and the same in bringing new people on. It's kind of like, you know, we're we're really sure that, that the sport's amazing and it should be shown around the world. And um, anyone that wants to be part of that, they're welcome to. You know. No, I get it. I get it because, you know, kind of like we said at the start of it. Think of everything that you've done and the places that you've come from as just a young guy in Australia, and to know through everything that now you have a say in how the sport goes, and that you're kind of responsible for putting money in people's pockets that are professional racers and and changing this the way that the sport's approached. I mean, that's a big deal and. We're super fortunate that just as individuals, we've been able to get to this point and have a little bit of a say-so in what we love so much. So, yeah, I totally get it. It's got to feel good to be a guy that, you know, from driving your Reeves van and then hitting that kangaroo to doing this now. That was a a cow, believe it or not. A cow, a cow. That's right, that's right. Driving driving through the outback after a motocross school in the middle of uh, the Northern Territory, so Alice Springs, which is like absolute outback like there is so they don't have fences out there for the farming and the properties and i came around the crest of a hill with myself and another gentleman um and uh, a cow was right in the middle of the road so doing i want to say 100 miles so it's 160 kilometers 100 miles and i hit it and um, just sent that thing flying and wrote wrote your reeves van off so <laughs> uh, he was not impressed at all that's for sure but i'm glad i survived to tell the story yeah and now look at it now you got your reeves team there hey adam thank you <laughs> Thanks a ton. July will be here before we know it. I know you guys have a ton of work to do and it's already, you know, you're already well under your work day over there. So thanks for carving out an hour for me today. And I'm excited to see what happens from here. No, thank you, man. I appreciate you making the time.